Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Tonight I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we're, we're only going to get to a small portion of that tonight. Um, we'll probably have to spend uh, the next three tonight and then the following two Wednesdays in chapter 9. Uh, it's just because there's a lot there. Uh, but I, I'm very, um, I don't know, I got excited about the first three verses of, of Daniel chapter 9. Um, just because of a, a principle that I find there. Because I, I want to talk to you tonight about, well, I call it praying for your people. Well, who are your people? Well, I mean, your people are your family, your people are your church, your people are your nation. I mean, you know, your people, your people are your neighborhood. It, it, there's just a lot of things, but how do we pray for uh, our, our people, so to speak? But before I begin, because of, you know, just maybe the times that we live in, uh, I want to start out with a, a fairy tale. So once upon a time, there was a nation that had been a bright, shining city on a hill. But that bright, shining city on a hill it decided to dirty itself, it sullied itself, and it doused out the light, and its salt went tasteless. This nation exchanged their holy God for the gods of greed, materialism, fleshly lusts. This nation bowed down to the idols of wood and metal and iron and all sorts of material, stone. It was once a great military and economic power, but its riches were taken away, given to other nations. Its military became weak, unable to defend its strong borders. The leaders of the nation became corrupt as they lusted after money and power to the detriment of the nation, for the good of themselves, to the detriment of the nation. It turned out to be nothing but a haven for people to look out only for themselves. It was the wicked who seemed to prosper in the nation. The godly were oppressed. There was nothing left for that nation but the judgment of God to be handed down because of all the wickedness, the sin, and the rebellion that permeated the land. That's my fairy tale. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, expecting, you're expecting, yeah, and then they lived happily ever after. Well, they might could still. But what, you know, you hear that, you know, what nation am I talking about? Now, if I, if, if I didn't write the, this fairy tale, you know, myself, so obviously I knew what I was talking about. If, if I had just come to that fairy tale on face value, I mean, I would have thought we were talking about the United States. But I wasn't, strangely enough. As much as, you know, everything that I said may have equated to the United States, I was, and, and you know, the similarities are actually very uncanny, but the nation that I was referring to was the kingdom of Judah. Judah was once a great nation, but because of sin, it rotted from the inside out, and the judgment of God came upon them. So they were taken into captivity by Babylon, even though for several centuries, they had been warned by the prophets to turn from their wicked ways. They had been warned for hundreds of years to repent of their sin. 
but they refused. They would not listen to the prophets. They would not listen to the word of God. Now, God didn't just simply destroy them. He didn't give up on his covenant people. But he did judge them. He did hand them over. He did promise he would restore them, though, if they would repent of their ways. And God, being omniscient, he knew exactly what would happen. Now, in captivity, knowing they were under the judgment of God, you know, you would think that the people as a whole would kind of, I don't know, do some deep thinking, do some self-reflection, like, oh, you know what got us into this trouble? Maybe we ought to stop doing that stuff. But they didn't always do that. Uh, they, they, even in captivity, their hearts were not always right with God. But there were some godly men and women. And there were some people who interceded with God on their behalf. And God heard their prayers. And obviously we need people like that in our day and age. But for Judah, there was one man who interceded on behalf of the people, who interceded on behalf of the nation. And Daniel was that man. What he based his prayers on, though, was not just his own desires. He didn't just say, Lord, this is what I want. He didn't go to the Lord and start giving the grocery list of what he wanted. What is interesting, and the principle that I kind of want to take away, I want us to take away tonight, is that he actually used the Scriptures to direct his prayers. You know, so often when we pray, we say, well, I don't know what to pray about. I don't know what to pray for. But I'll tell you what, if you, if you get into the Word of God, the Word actually gives us specific topics for us to pray. To pray for ourselves, to pray for our family, to pray for our church, and I do hope you're praying for the church, and, and to pray for the nation. Now, Daniel and his prayers they, for the nation, they were a bit unique because Judah was a unique situation because their religious identity and their national identity were one and the same. I mean, they were Jews. That was their nation and that was their religion. Now, we're completely different. We're part of a religious community. I mean, that's the church. We're the people of Jesus Christ. But we're also part of a nation so we have an earthly citizenship, even though our heavenly citizenship is elsewhere. So we, with, we, we do live within a national identity. But the thing is now, God's people are not uh, you know, limited to just one nation. There are Christians in America. Obviously, I'm looking at them. There are Christians in China. There are Christians in Jamaica, I don't know, wherever. You know, they might be part of a nation for their earthly citizenship, but they're part of the heavenly citizenship. They're part of God's people in Christ. Now, our religious identity in Christ, our Christian worldview ought to have a say in how we live in the nation that we find ourselves in. And so being a Christian ought to mean we live, according to Christian principles, within the realm of our national identity. 
But now our national identity doesn't necessarily tell us how to live as Christians, even though for a lot of people I think it has. The Bible tells us how to be Christians. God's Word tells us how to be Christians. American values, whatever they might be. The thing is with American values, they're held by non-Christians as well. And so they don't really necessarily have a say in who we are as Christians. God's Word does. But here's the thing. We are... We are called to pray for both. We are called to pray for our family, our church family, our religious identity. We are called to pray for the people of God. But we're also called to pray for the nation. I mean, if, if you remember in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy, look, we are to pray for kings and governors and things like that. And you remember Paul found himself in, in the, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, Paul told Timothy, pray for them as well, so that you can live a quiet and peaceable life. And so we are to pray. What do we pray? Well, we see in this chapter of Daniel that it it was Scripture that directed his prayer. The prayer that he had for himself, the prayer that he had for his people, Religious, political spectrum, the whole, whole thing, you know, is all combined with the Jewish identity anyway. But I'm hoping that this encourages us to use the Scripture to guide our prayers for everything that we pray for. You know, we wonder, what can I pray? Well, read Scripture and find what to pray. So, you know, you look in Daniel chapter 9, and the first three verses talk about, at least they begin, the prayer and next week, I'll talk a little bit more about this prayer. But it, 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 it gives, uh, talks about the prayer that Daniel gave for his people and what directed it. And so look at verses 1 through 3 of Daniel chapter 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, which is Babylon, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So where we're finding ourselves as far as history is concerned is that, yes, okay, You know, Israel had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, but now the Babylonians were defeated. The Medes and the Persians were in charge now. And they were only in charge for about a year when this uh, took place. Daniel, he was raised to a high position in the government of Darius. But, you know, just because he was this very important person in government now didn't mean that he stopped seeking the Lord, his God. You know, you never, it doesn't matter your earthly position. You don't ever stop seeking the Lord, your God. And so he sought God. He sought the Word. He sought God in prayer. He pleaded mercies and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, humility. He sought God. Now, it it would appear that, you know, he, which to me is interesting, he he had a copy of Jeremiah's prophecy. And Jeremiah was 
somewhat contemporary with Daniel. I mean, he was a few years, a few decades before, but they did, at least their lives, you know, Jer- Daniel was alive toward the end of Jeremiah's life. But somehow he had a copy of Jeremiah's prophecy. He had, a, he had his own personal Bible study. And Daniel came across this promise that God had made to Jeremiah uh, about the number of years that they would be in captivity. Um, in, in Jeremiah, you know, I don't know if he was reading Jeremiah 25 or Jeremiah 29, Daniel was reading it. He saw the promises of God, and that is what prompted his prayer. The Word of God prompted his prayer. So he was reading, say, Jeremiah 25, 11, that says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay? Or he may have been reading Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. There's promises of God. Promises of God that 70 years would be completed for Babylon, for the Babylonian captivity. We notice we're very, we're very familiar with Chapter 29, verse 11 of Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil. We loved grabbing that for ourselves. But within the context, it's talking about the nation of Israel. I have plans for the nation of Israel. Guess what those plans were? Bringing the Messiah around. But, you know, it talks about at the end of those 70 years that the people would call upon God, would seek God, would pray to God. And if they sought him, sought God with all of their heart, God would bring them back to the land. So, Daniel sees that. And Daniel, he calculated this up. Wait a minute, you know what? The 70 years is about up. Don't know exactly like when, when this calculation happened because it could be 70 years when the first wave of the captivity happened in 605 B.C. It could have been 70 years from when Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C. I'm not really sure which, you know, where the starting point was. But now that the Medes and Persians were in charge, and Daniel, understanding, giving, giving some understanding of, of Jeremiah, he's like, wait a minute, those 70 years are about up. And God says, if we seek Him with all our heart, if we pray to Him, He will restore us to the land. So here's the thing. Here's what I want us to see. It was the Word of God that was the catalyst. It was the Word of God that was the motivation. It was the Word of God that really, we could say, was the content of the prayer of Daniel. The Word of God moved Daniel to pray what was in the Word of God. Lord, 
you said your word says 70 years your word says if we seek you with all of our heart and we pray to you you will restore us so here i am i am seeking you i am fasting i am wearing sackcloth i'm repenting i am you know covered in ashes i am i am humbling myself before you and i am seeking your face just like your word says and so lord i'm taking you at face value so to speak what your word says it was the motivation it was the content uh, of the prayer and so daniel he, he read this prophecy maybe given i don't know 100 years or so beforehand but he saw it relevant to his day and age he saw it relevant to his situation he saw it relevant to his religion he saw it as relevant to his nation and it, it was a catalyst for him to seek god those 70 years were up almost give or take so he wanted to pray for the nation so here's the thing for us yeah you know what this bible was finished the canon was completed about two thousand years ago and there are portions of scripture that were written 1500 years before that there are parts of our scripture that are give or take 3,500 years old. And yet, this 3,500-year-old document is no mere document. This is the Word of God. It is inerrant. It is infallible. And this Word is as relevant today as it was 3,500 years ago, as it was 2,000 years ago. And you know what? 2,000 years from now, if there is still a 2,000 years from now, this word is still going to be relevant. This is the catalyst for our prayers. This has the promises of God in it. What do I pray for my family? What do I pray for my church? What do I pray for my nation? What do I pray for myself? What do I pray for my spouse? What do I pray for my neighbor? It's here. It's right here. The promises of God and the Word of God. This Word is still relevant. It is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it is the discerner and the judge of the intents of the heart. And because of that fact, it has something to say to us. It has something to guide us through. It has something that is important for our lives, for the lives of our family, for, the li for our church, for our nation, and so on. And you know, when we think of prayer, we think of prayer as, okay, here God, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. But prayer is a two-way communication. So God's Word speaks to us, and then from that, it's kind of the outflow or overflow or however you want to put it into what it is that we pray lord your word says this and so my prayer and response is based on this based on the promises of god in the bible we pray according to the grace of god that is is given because if god spoke a promise in his word within its context. And I'm always going to say that. We can't just pull things out of context. 
you know, like Sunday morning. You know, I, the, the, in, in the Gospel of Mark, the whole thing about nothing is impossible with God. Well, yeah. Oh, I can jump off this building and fly because nothing's impossible for God. Well, no. That, you're kind of taking that out of context. So. But if, you, if there's a promise of God within its context, you can take it to the bank, and it is our basis for prayer. So how might that look? So for example, you, you studied Psalm 37 in, in, in your Bible. And, and what it, it says really speaks to you about our nation. So you know, you read, you read the first verses of Psalm 37 that says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, there again, that's, an, that's another verse that a lot of people really like to take out of context real quick. Lord, give me the desires of my heart. Read it in its context. See, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart when you delight in Him, because then when you delight in God, guess what? His desires become your desires. So anyway, again, context. Don't rip, thing, don't rip things out of context. But anyway, so you read, say, those, those first four verses of Psalm 37. And in light of the political, moral, economic situation of the nation or, or whatever, you know, we might pray something that, okay, God... You know, I pray that God would give me the perspective that, you know what, I need to remember that even though it might seem like the wicked are prospering, they are going to have their day. God is going to judge them. And so I pray that I do not fret and I do not worry, I don't get angry, I don't fall into sin because of what the wicked are doing. But instead, I pray, Lord, that I would trust and commit and rest and delight in you. Because that's what your word says. You know, and then I might pray that the day of the wicked will come to an end. And the day of the Lord would shine forth. See? It's scripture guiding prayer. Or maybe you read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so in light of that, I might pray, you know, Lord, I know you are one. There is no other God but you. So help me, help my family, help my church to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or maybe you read 2 Timothy 4.2, and it says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And at first you might think, well, that has no relevance to me because, well, I, I'm, I don't preach. But guess what? You know someone who does. And you know someone who needs prayer. I mean, definitely need, needs prayer. And so maybe that will lead you to pray for your pastor. Lord, com compel my pastor to preach the word of God and use his message to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort and give him patience. You know, that, that's always a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Praying for patience. But you know what? Give him patience and give him the ability to teach your truth within its context. 
So, so scripture can lead us to pray for anyone and everyone in every situation. You can, you can read scripture and, and find somewhere to plug that in. Um, Donald Whitley, who is a professor at Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, he wrote a very good book on the spiritual disciplines, which uh, he, he's kind of more famous for. And I would highly suggest uh, that you would look up his, his work there. But he wrote this book called Praying the Bible. It's not a very long read, but I think that it's very impactful. And so I would suggest getting Donald Whitley's book, Praying the Bible. Well, let me just read a, uh, a snippet of this, uh, of this book to kind of give you um, some encouragement in this area. He said, the almost universal tendency is to pray the same old things about the same old things, and that prayer is boring. When prayer is boring, we do not feel like praying. And when we don't feel like praying, we find it very hard to pray. When we have to compel ourselves to pray, our prayers are joyless, our minds wander, and a very few minutes in prayer seems like hours. As a, as a result, we feel like spiritual failures, certain that we are second-rate Christians. But now we've learned that instead of saying the same old gray, colorless prayers, we can pray in fresh new ways about almost everything we pray about virtually every time we pray. A woman, let's say, who wants to pray every day for her children or her grandchildren might pray for them today as she prays through Psalm 23. This text prompts her to pray that God shepherd her children in various ways. And there's something about that shepherding imagery that transforms that same old things she usually prays for into a dynamic new prayer enriched with the inspired words of God. Tomorrow she might pray through 1 Corinthians 13, and doing so leads her to ask the Lord to develop in her children the kind of love that is taught in that chapter. The next day, while making her way through Psalm 1, the text guides her to pray that her children would become meditators on the Word of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to pray for your children? But would you ever pray that if you didn't pray through Psalm 1? The following day, she finds herself in Galatians 5 and pleads with the Lord to develop the fruit of the Spirit in her children. After that, she's back in the Psalms, and while conversing with the Lord through Psalm 139, she asks that her children would sense his presence wherever they go that day. In reality, the heart of her prayer, and you know, this is the prayer we normally say, bless my children, remains unchanged, even though her words change. And it's more specific. By filtering that prayer through a different pas passage of Scripture each time, her prayer changes from a mind-numbing repetition of the same old things to a request that ascends from her heart to heaven in unique ways every day. I know that was kind of a long passage to read, um, but there's just so much truth there. I mean, yeah, we go through the same old, same old. Bless me, bless my family, bless the church, bless the nation, bless my neighbor, bless this, bless that. Bless them how? 
And, you know, we, we do that, and again, like he said, we repeat it, and we get bored, and then we just decide to give up. But reading through Scripture, oh, bless my children by bearing in them the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, bear that in me, bear that in them. Now there's a prayer. So, to reinvigorate our prayer life, you know, I pray that we would use Scripture, let it speak to us, and let it be the catalyst of our prayer for our people, be it our family, our church, our nation, or whatever. So let Scripture drive our prayers, and then watch and see how He answers those specific prayers. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.